0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya the Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: So in the last chapter we learned what is the the genuine path and the to teshuvah, to achieve teshuvah, and what is the direct path to achieve teshuvah. Genuine path by considering your soul and the source of your soul, and when you arouse pity on your soul and pity on the source of your soul, that's the genuine path to teshuvah. And then the direct path to teshuvah is when you uh, humble your heart and you achieve a contrite heart by being a master accountant and realizing the effects of your, of your sin, the exile of the Shekhinah so this will crush the Klippa and that will release you from your prison now once you release from prison that's just the beginning. Now that you're released from prison, now you take a look and you realize your clothes are filthy. When a person's in prison, he's not thinking about his prison garb or how filthy his clothes are. He's thinking about, I'm in prison. I'm trapped. How do I get out of here? But once you're released from prison, okay, you're released. But Now you take a look at yourself and you say, I'm dressed in rags. these are, are, look how filthy I am now I gotta clean myself up and this is the next step this is what he's going to discuss here that how a person can cleanse himself and wash off all that dirt and all that negativity and restore himself and bring himself back to his natural state feeling clean and crisp and sharp and good See, so he begins 1085 after
0: after deeply considering all this one can truly plead
1: from, from his innermost heart in accordance with your abounding compassion, erase my transgressions This verse is recited during Tikkun
0: Chazak as well as during the bedside reading of the Kiryat Shema for propitious time for spiritual stock taking which will enable him to recite it wholeheartedly.
1: So this is from Psalm 51 which we recite every night, every evening before we go to bed. And we say, Please Hashem, in your great mercy, have mercy on me. Well to say it honestly you really have to feel you really have to feel the mercy that it's that there is a mercy on yourself but if you don't feel you don't feel that you're in a sorry state you're okay nothing wrong, no problem unless you feel that the fact that you're spiritually, something is wrong and you feel that it's that you, it's a pity you're something to be pitied you're in a sorry state you're in a tragic situation most people who are in a tragic situation spiritually don't feel how tragic it is <laughs> that's part of the symptom that's how you know how sorry their state is they're so sorry they don't even realize there's a problem it doesn't even bother them like a pig rolls in mud and it doesn't bother him. he, he loves it, he enjoys it he doesn't, doesn't know that it's mud so that's the first sign that you're, you're so sick, you're so spiritually sick, you don't even realize how sick you are. You're in a such sorry state that it doesn't even bother you. You don't even feel sorry. I'm fine. When a person says, spiritually speaking, I'm fine, that means he's so ill, he's so not well, he doesn't even realize. He's so far gone, he doesn't even realize how sick he is. He's dying on his deathbed. And he's fine. Spiritually speaking. He's hardly breathing. There's hardly a pulse. There's nothing alive. There's no blood circulation. There's nothing going on. And the person is dead. He's not doing anything to nourish and to nurture a spiritual self. He's not feeding it. He's not nourishing it. He's not taking care of it. He's not paying attention. And he's fine. He's dead. You're fine that's the first sign of how that fine is so in order to a person, for a person to genuinely say at night Hashem have mercy on me have Rahmanas, have pity on me unless you genuinely feel how sorry and how sorrowful and how tragic your situation is it's not a genuine prayer it's not a heartfelt prayer you don't mean it you don't, you don't relate to it what do you mean? you don't connect with it it doesn't resonate what do you mean? Have pity on me. Why why did you have pity? My bank account is full. uh, I'm doing fine. There's nothing wrong. I'm not a pity. There's not not anything to pity. I'm on Park Avenue. What's there to pity? That's the biggest pity. You don't even realize how pitiful you are. How sorrowful you are. Spiritually speaking. So in order to pray, when he's praying before Hashem, at the time, at a very auspicious time, when it's time to take, take, do soul-searching and take stack, spiritual stock of your day, of your life, this is when you genuinely, in order to genuinely be able to feel the, the sorry, feel sorry and feel the tragedy of your situation, it's only through reflection. It says, Hamakas hadas. You have to be deeply considering everything that we learned in the previous chapter. Only by deeply, firstly, knowing, being aware of it, that's not enough, learning it, studying it, understanding it, comprehending it, but then you have to deeply think about it, and deeply think about it, and apply it personally, and realize your sorrowful state, as he explained earlier, the results of your sin, every time you sin, something dies inside of you, you cut yourself off from your life source, and especially the big sins, and even those sins that are the equivalent to the big sins, arrogance, stinginess, temper... Um, slander and there are some people who have all four in abundance (laughs) and you realize that something dies inside of you and then even the slight sin if you repeat it and then they learn kabbalistically speaking even if you don't do the mitzvah properly if you read the shema but it's not in the proper intention it's it's the equivalent of of being stoned you know you get the it's like the equivalent of doing a sin with a death sentence a stoning the harshest death sentence spiritually speaking suddenly your heart becomes like a stone you don't feel you don't sense you don't connect you don't relate to anything godly you don't respond to anything godly so if you take it to heart and you realize what's going on internally that's enough to break your heart you realize the tragedy of the situation then you cry out that Hashem Hashem please have Rahmanas. Have mercy. So
0: then his heart will be thoroughly impressed with the pathetic state of the spark of divinity within his soul and in his soul source above, as he has noted earlier.
1: People who are spiritually sick don't notice, don't know it. They're completely complacent. They're fine, even proud of themselves, even parade in the streets. A person who's genuinely healthy, spiritually healthy. He feels what a rachmanus, what a pity it is on his soul and the godly spark. And if he's not alive, if he's not vibrant, if his godly spark is not vibrant and it's not alive and it's not pulsating with life and with health and it's not vigorous and it's vibrant, it means something is cut off, something is disconnected, something is ill. There's an illness there. You know what a is. And you know you need treatment. You need to get the blood circulating. <laughs> you know what a is. Then you cry out to Hashem, Rahmanas, heal me. You know you need a healing. But that's that's the first sign of curing. That's already half the cure. When a person knows the illness and he knows that he's ill, that's already half the cure. Imagine the person who's dying. And he thinks he's healthy. And he's walking around oblivious. You know, people, you hear the tragedies. People drop dead from a heart attack. They, had no, they didn't know. They didn't know if they had any symptoms. They didn't, or they didn't take the symptoms seriously. They just thought it's nothing. So imagine a person whose heart is 99.9% clogged. And he doesn't know it. And he's just going about, I'm okay. That, that's the biggest tragedy knowing that you're sick is already half the cure and looking for treatment and looking for healing and aggressively looking for healing that, that's already half the cure so in order for a person when a person to, knows that he's sick then he cries out to Hashem Have Rahmanus, I need help, I need healing then you're already halfway there it will thereby arouse supreme
0: mercy from the thirteen attributes of mercy which derive from the supreme will alluded to by the thorn atop the yod which by far transcends the flow issuing from the letters of the tetragrammaton
1: we just learned in last week, in the last chapter that every time you sin you affect a different letter of the name of Hashem because our soul is comprises of the name of Hashem Hashem is a portion, our portion So we derive our life directly from its channel through the name, the divine name, Hashem's personal name. So when we sin, or we don't do a mitzvah properly, we cause a defect. And it affects the divine energy that flows from the Yud, from the He, from the Vav, and from the He. And the way it corresponds in our soul. So if a person has a defect, how do you heal it? How are you able to heal it? You've wounded. You've damaged. You've caused a defect. In the organs, you've caused a defect. How are you able to heal it? So you have to reach a deeper place. You have to go to the source. The source of life. The source of all these four letters. The source of all these four letters is hinted at, is alluded to by the thorn Of the yud. It's interesting. Al Rebbe discussed this also in chapter four, if you remember, and there he used a different language. He said that the Hashem's will, the, the thorn on top of the yud hints at, alludes to and hints at Hashem's will. Here he says the thorn not on top of the yud, the thorn of the yud and he says it's alluded to in the thorn of the Yud everything is very precise Al-Turabi spend seven weeks once on whether you should add a vav, shouldn't add a vav Al-Turabi is every letter every choice of word he's teaching us something very precise here he's talking about two different things as we discussed at great length then when you say that the the crown on top of the Yud hints at something what it means is that the crown doesn't contain it. It's beyond, not only is it beyond words, it's beyond, it can't even be hinted at. It's something that's beyond any hint, any, you're describing the essence of God, which transcends any description, any definition. But we have to refer to Hashem as something, so we use the crown of the yud when we use the crown of the yud is alluding to something that's completely above the yud. It's completely above words, letters, definitions, descriptions, even hints. It's even beyond hints. It's beyond any description. Beyond,
0: beyond.
1: beyond, beyond. But even saying beyond, beyond, is also a description. There are no words. Like that famous story, one chassid turns to the other and he says. In Israel, this is the 1940s, very, a very big chassid, a very big understander of chassidahs, a big Moscow. He says to one chassid who was a, more into davening, he was like a, also very brilliant, but also into, very much into davening. The other one was more of an intellectual, and he turns to him, explain to me what refers to the essence of God. Explain to me, what do you mean the essence of God? He said, listen, I can't explain the essence of God. He said, yeah, but try. After pestering and pestering him, he. <laughs> He, uh, he says, okay, I'll tell you. So he gives him a slap across the face. He says, the moment you open your mouth, it's already not the essence of God. Anything you're going to say, any, even beyond, beyond, anything you're going to say is already not. We simply don't have the tools. We don't even have the means, the tools, our concepts, our ideas, our experiences, high levels of consciousness, religion, mysticism. There's nothing that we have that could even begin to describe what God is, the essence of God. But we have to describe it, we have to talk about it. So we, we use a word, but not that the God is contained in that word. That's why it says the very first word of the Ten Commandments refers to the essence of God. Anoichi, I. I is not a holy word. Then it says Hashem alokech, Hashem is God's name, personal name. That's holy. If you write down the, that word, that letter, is the letters of God's name, you're not allowed to tear it up, you're not allowed to destroy it, you're not, you're not allowed to bring it into a bathroom. It's holy. Because the letters contain God's holiness, that holiness, that level of godliness. But when you're talking about the essence of God, the word of has no holiness to it. Because it doesn't contain, it doesn't even hint at the essence of God. It just, it just alludes to, because we have to use something. So we say, I, I, who am I? So when he says over there that the crown, and he says on top of the yud, it's beyond the yud, it's beyond words, letters, concepts, ideas, even hints. It alludes to we have to talk we have to refer to God, so it refers to God, God himself, which is really beyond any definition of the scripture that 's the level that he 's discussing here here, however, he specifically says the thorn of the youth, not the thorn on top of the youth, and he says it 's alluded to meaning it is contained in the letter, because here he's saying that when a person arouses, evokes and feels the pity he feels the tragedy of his situation and he realizes how sick he is and what a, how pathetic he is and what a pity it is in him which evokes God's pity the mercy of Hashem so this has the ability to wipe away all the scars, and all the defects, everything that we've... all the destruction, all the damage that we've done through our behavior, all the clogging of the heart and the plaque that we've built up as a result of our sin, this just washes it away. Because by going deeper, and by going to the source of the four letters, the source of the tenth Svirot, the God's will which transcends the consciousness and transcends the level of God, the way He fills all the worlds. The will of God is like the transcendent level of God. So when you get to the source, then you're able to unplug and you're able to wash away all the negativity. So here, we're describing a cleansing. So in order to cleanse and to heal the wound in the organs and to cleanse the plaque that build up in the the arteries the level of life has to have some connection to the organs to the level of life of the organs because if you're talking about a level that's completely transcendent that's fine you tap into that level but it has no impact on the organs on the the way when the organs are functioning in a, in, a, in an ordinary way you just leap into a different dimension and to the essence and there there is no illness and there is no all there is is life and health but it's not going to heal the organ itself You want to hear, we're trying to restore, restore the organs back to its original health. That it should function properly and healthy the way way, way it was before. Of course, when you tap in, when you leapfrog and you tap into a different dimension to the essence of pure life, yes, of course, you can live. But the organs remain unaffected, the organs are not changed, the organs are sick. But you're leapfrogging, you're touching a place of health, and therefore, you can, you can live. But you haven't healed the sickness. You've ignored the sickness, you've leapfrogged above the sickness, but you haven't healed the place of the illness has not been healed. In order for the organs to restore, to be restored, to come back to their original state of purity and pristine, and to be healthy and vibrant the way they were, you have to touch a level which has some relationship to the individual organ. And then when you touch that place, then it can heal, it can help the organs and heal and restore itself to its, to its natural state. So therefore, he says, when we evoke the level of God's will, he's talking about the level of God's will that's connected that's related to the individual when God's energy comes down in an individual way with different letters and different words and different letters and by revealing the source of the letters the will which is the source of the letters where all the letters are contained within this source then the letters can heal and all the damage the letters can heal and the individual organs so to speak can heal and it could be cleansed and restored. So that's why he specifically chooses. He says it's eluded by the thorn of the Yud, which is above and beyond the letters of God's name. So therefore, by reaching deeper and reaching into the source, it could bring a healing, it can help the the, the energy, the divine energy, which comes and is expressed through these letters could also heal from its blemish. And it can cause the life force, it can restore the life force, the natural flow. Everything could be restored.
0: Sins cause a blemish in the individual letters of the tetragrammaton, as explained above. This causes the flow emanating from there and from which a Jew derives his life force to descend into the klipa and citra and provide them with additional nurture. When one arouses the supreme mercies of the thirteen attributes of mercy, which emanate from the level of the supreme will, that transcends the letters of the tetragrammaton, he is then able to rectify the letters and redirect their flow into his soul. Therefore, on account of their lofty origin, these thirteen attributes of mercy correct all defects, and as it is written, he forgives iniquity and transgressions and
1: cleanses. It's interesting, because the verse actually mentions avoin, intentional sin, v'fesha, sin that's done in spite, v'chato, unintentional sins. And v'nake, God will cleanse. Why does he omit? He skips the word v'chato, unintentional sins, and jumps from v'fesha, Din is sins that are done intentionally and in spite, to Vinakya, and God will cleanse. Without that, again, everything is very precise. Al-Tarebi is saying, as Rebbe points out, that we know the 13 attributes of mercy. Why do you need the 13 attributes of mercy? Primarily, you need the 13 attributes of mercy for intentional sins. For unintentional sins, that you can offer a sacrifice. You can bring a sacrifice. But when you do an intentional sin sacrifice can't atone for intentional sins. The only thing that can atone for intentional sins, like we read last, we learned in the last chapter, is a broken heart, which evokes God's mercies, which can atone and forgive for intentional sins. That's why the Rebbe omits v'chato, which is unintentional sin, and he's saying that the 13 attributes of mercy correct all the defects of intentional sin so this begs the question and why does the verse why does the Torah say vachata? when the Torah is speaking about the 13 attributes of mercy the Torah should have omitted vachata, which only mentioned the, um, the sins which are intentional and the answer is because the Torah continues v'nake lo yinake. he will clean he will cleanse and he won't cleanse what do you mean he will cleanse and he won't cleanse the Talmud says God will cleanse the sins of those who return. But but he won't cleanse the sins of those who who don't return, who don't do Teshuvah. So the Torah is teaching us that even someone who does an unintentional sin, you may think, if the Torah would have omitted the word v'chata, which refers to unintentional sin, you may think, if I did an unintentional sin there, I don't need to do Teshuvah. It was unintentional. I didn't do anything wrong the Torah is telling us, teaching us no, that even unintentional sin also needs to do teshuvah. it's not enough to bring a sacrifice you have to do teshuva you, because you did something wrong even though it was unintentional you're still responsible and you still did something wrong because even unintentionally a person won't jump into fire unintentionally when was the last time you rolled out of bed in the middle of the night and banged yourself even when you're asleep, unintentionally, you don't hurt yourself. So the fact that a person could sin unintentionally is a signal that something is wrong with you. Doesn't it come from even a deeper part? <laughs> it comes from even a deeper part. <coughs> so you have to do Teshuvah. You first have to do Teshuvah, right? Um, especially since you're complacent. You think there's nothing wrong with me. Hey, I didn't do it. it was unintentional. But it's very revealing. Like the Freudian slip. It's very revealing, even more revealing, than when you do something consciously, deliberately, and intentionally. So that's why the Torah includes the v'chato. But here, Al-Turchev is discussing that the main purpose of evoking the 13 attributes is to achieve an atonement for even sins that are intentional. So when a person feels the tragedy of his situation, when you realize that spiritually, how sick you are, and what a tragic situation you're in, and you feel the pity and the mercy on your soul and your being and your, your situation, which evokes the feeling of mercy of Hashem, the 13 attributes of mercy, which the 13 transcend the conscious level, where God fills all the worlds, which is made up of 10, 10 spheres. 13 is beyond 10. It's beyond the, it's the transcendent level of Hashem, Hashem's willpower, just like within the soul. We have the conscious level of the soul, which begins with the create, creative mind, the right brain, but then you have the willpower. The willpower is the soul. There's no organ for will. It's, it's, all, it's, it's transcendent. It's, it's all-encompassing. It's the source of everything. It's the source. A person has a desire, so that's what motivates you to, to, to learn, to study, to think, to comprehend. Because of your desire, that's what motivates you to love and to reach out and to connect. Everything ultimately is motivated by the will. So will is the overriding force. It's the general, it's the soul. And therefore it contains all the energies of the soul. And that's why it it controls all the energies of the soul. Your willpower, you can force yourself to do something which is against your nature. People with very thick heads, but had strong willpower, willed themselves into brilliant minds. They just worked so hard that they just could develop unbelievable, powerful intellects. Just by sheer willpower because will lords and commands over all the, all the individual faculties of our soul, because it's the source, it's the soul, it's an expression of the soul, it's transcendent, and it's the source of all the individual faculties. So too, in the, in the, within Hashem, the transcendent level of Hashem, Hashem's willpower, which is the 13 attributes of mercy, since that's the source of the four letters, Which is like the individual organs, individual expressions, individual energies, a tense virot. Therefore, even if you cause the defect and you cause the blemish in the divine sustenance and divine flow as a result of your sin, but by evoking the source, by bringing out the source, it cleanses and it restores the 10 wrote, and it restores the four letters of Hashem's name restores it back to health to life to its vitality to its natural flow it's like a a lake that suddenly is filled with weeds and is dying it's choking what do you do? you unclog the source the fresh water the, 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 the well springs it's clogged and therefore all these weeds are growing and choking the life out of this beautiful lake. And now it's choking. It's dead. It's dying. So it's instead of just going and chopping off each weed, which is not going to help you, because tomorrow it will just grow grow right back, you unclog the root, the source, and you allow the fresh water to flow. And then all the weeds just die out. And then before you know it, the lake is healthy again. Fish are, fl- are, are, are living there, thriving there, and it's restored back to its natural, pristine state. So that's the idea of teshuvah by, uh, by evoking, arousing the rahmanas on yourself, which comes through deep contemplation, which evokes Hashem's 13 attributes of mercy. So this cleanses all the negativity and it restores everything back to you normal. Know, the the Kabbalah has given an example, analogy. It's like when God created the world, he, he says like this king had an island. And in this island, he brilliantly engineered canals and waterways. And everything flowed properly and it was lush. And the most delectable, like in, in uh, Kauai? Kauai. Kauai. It's like, you know, it's like you see this lush vegetation, and it's so rich, and it's beautiful, paradise. And then someone comes along, and he starts clogging up one canal, one, one ditch. And then the next day he clogs up another ditch, and he makes new, new diversions. And you come back a year later, <laughs> this gorgeous, pristine, Beautiful island is now a wreck because since he messed up all the waterways, the flow stopped, the, veg- the vegetation died, all these, all these foreign, all these, you know, reeds are growing, and it's just the whole island died. They're dead. So, what do you do? You have to restore it, you have to redig the canals, and then the water starts flowing and everything starts flowing then the island is restored back to its pristine state. So Hashem gave us Torah mitzvah. When we follow the Torah, we do the mitzvah, the whole universe flows beautifully, beginning with the 10th Svirot. Everything flows perfectly, harmoniously, and the result, it's a consequence. Hashem says, you follow the Torah, you're going to be blessed with life and health and success and everything it's a consequence. When the world is in its natural state, where God created it, and everything flows harmoniously, it's beautiful. But then we sin, or we don't do the mitzvah properly, and we block one little ditch, another little ditch, and we create a diversion. We take that energy and we use it for wrong, the wrong things, and you come back to the island, and it's a wreck. The person wrecked his life, wrecked his soul, wrecked the 10th out. the divine energy. Everything the whole universe is wrecked, a mess. Everything is distorted upside down. So how are you going to fix this? That's the power of Teshuvah. Teshuvah gives us such a shake, touches such a deep place. It's touching such a, a place of health, such a deep point of health, that when you tap into that, the flow just starts flowing. And everything is everything is rectified and everything is mended and healed and restored. Everything comes back. That's the power of the Shuvah, that's the power of the thirteen attributes of mercy, which is alluded to in the crown of the Yud. Because that's the crown and all the letters come from that crown. That's the beginning of all the letters. it's, it's not so much by dealing with the negativity, but this is more like the holistic approach to healing. You tap into such a deep, powerful, intense level of health that it just overcomes and causes the body to heal. Instead of fighting the negativity, the pathological approach, the modern approach to medicine, the Western approach, which is dealing with the pathology, with the technical and mechanical the symptoms, the holistic approach is you go straight to the source and you tap into that health And that health just overwhelms and restores the body and restores the organs back to health. In other words, you create an environment where illness can't survive in that environment. There's so much health, illness simply can't survive in that environment. You flood the body with health, with so much health, such an intense health, that illness simply just can't survive in that environment, such a healthy environment. The klipa, the pathology, could only thrive in a a sick environment. When a person sins, you create a sick environment, and the negative energies leach onto that, and therefore it breeds more negativity, and more negativity, and illness, and sickness. But when you create a healthy environment, and you tap into the 13 attributes of mercy, you're creating such a powerfully healthy environment the clipper just has nothing to hold on to the negativity has nothing to hold on to and then the body becomes flooded with health and everything is restored back to its pristine health to its natural health and like I'll say later the Baal is even greater than the Tzaddik a person who was healthy, he was always healthy, he was never sick a day in his life. Or versus a person who was sick and maybe on his deathbed. But then he tapped into such a powerful level of health and he flooded his life and his system and his body with so much health that the pathologies have nothing to hold on to and they just they just die out, they have nothing to grab onto. And the person is restored back to his health. The question is, which one is healthier The one who never got sick in his life? Was never sick a day in his life? Or the person who got sick, and maybe very sick, and maybe even critically ill? But by tapping into and bringing that point of health, that part within us that's infinite, undefined, that part of Hashem within us, and by bringing it out to the open, and bringing it out in force, was able to restore that health. I'm asking you as a healer, which person is healthier? The second one, the second one is healthier.
0: Because so they have the health plus the plus experience, plus uh, gain through the sickness. Both of them have health, but we have on top of it.
1: On top of it. it. And he, and he had to go a lot deeper, so he had to reveal a much more powerful access, a much deeper, more powerful place within him, place of health. So the body now is so much stronger, because that's an argument in the Talmud. The Tzaddik and the Balchufa, who is greater? Rabavua says the Balchufa is greater, and Maimonides renders his verdict that he, like Rabavuah and Rabbi says, no, the Tzadik is great. So this is what Shuvah is not about pathology. It's not about wallowing in pathology. Oh, you're sick, you're horrible, you're ugly, you're disgusting. It's not what Shuvah... Shuvah is, yes, you have to feel the tragedy of the situation. And you have to feel the Rachmanis. But once you evoke that compassion and that pity and you realize the tragedy of your situation, and it gets to your heart, and you cry out genuinely to Hashem, Hashem, have Rahmanas, have pity, have mercy, because I realize my situation spiritually, how spiritually challenged I am, which evokes from within Hashem, corresponding a parallel response of pity, when Hashem's 13 attributes of mercy are revealed, then it's such a powerful level that it just washes away and wipes away and cleanses all the negativity, all the defects, all the pathology, all the negative energy is just completely washed away and everything is restored and healed back to its original state. That's the power of Teshuvah.
0: With this awakening of mercies following the concretions, there is no further nurture for the evil forces and for the sitra aqua from the life force emanating from the lower high as not
1: When a person sins, you allow the negative forces to grab onto you. When negative forces have no life of their own, they have no energy, they're bloodsuckers. They're parasites. Mm -hmm. They feed off us. If we nourish and nurture them by us, sinning, we nourish and nurture these negative forces. We give them space. But the moment we do teshuvah, and the moment we restore, and we go deeper, and we restore to the source of health the source of life then they have nothing to grab onto the negative forces could only work in an environment in a sick environment but in a healthy environment they run it's like cockroaches run from clean places <laughs> they, they thrive in dirty places they don't like, they, don't, they hate they hate clean places, they have nothing to do there they thrive in dirt when there's dirt they thrive but when it's clean they're, they're, they're gone they starve to death. They have nothing to do. So, when a person is restored and is healed and is cleansed and has this powerful, intense energy, divine energy, Hashem's thirteen attributes of mercy, when you get such a surge of divine energy, such a surge of godly energy, and the negativity doesn't even have, doesn't even have anything to hold on to, and then. You know, then you not only you don't do something that's wrong you're not even tempted to do something that's wrong. when you feel godliness when you feel connected to godliness then the shuva when you're in a state of teshuva neg- evil negativity disgusts you you're turned off by it you, you, and you're attracted to anything godly just like yesterday before you did teshuva he had such a powerful pull towards anything sinful and negative and self-destructive. You were attracted to, so like a bee to honey. Now it's just the opposite. Now the Baltruva has turned his life around. Just the opposite. Anything that's godly, you run to. It was such a powerful, such passion and such energy. And anything that's that's <coughs> negative, that's the opposite of godliness, you run away from. It's like it's like, it's like running away from fire. With a strength, with a, with a passion. You don't want to have anything to do with it. So the, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no even, there's no room for negativity. Not only there is no negativity, there's not even room for negativity. There's nothing to hold on to. Because it's so powerful, the surge of godliness. You sense godliness, it's so palpable, it's so real to you. Now you feel reconnected, you feel alive again. You feel connected. Anything that's godly is so precious to you. The baltruva can't get enough. Every moment he can learn another little, and he can do another mitzvah, and with the same passion that he pursued, that he ran to Las Vegas, now he's running to another class, and another this, and with enthusiasm and excitement. And so there's no room for negative. There's nothing to hold on to. He's so flooded with health, and, and godliness, and goodness, there's no room for negative. So the the, neg- the negativity is washed away. It's cleansed. It's cleansed out of your system. All that bad blood is cleansed out of your system. So the hay. And that's Teshuvah. That's the lower level of Teshuvah. We learned earlier. Returning the hay. You return the hay. Because the hay, that's the source. That's where the... The ksitra akhra, the negativity received, their life sustenance. They cling, they hold on to the hay. But now that the hay has been restored to its source and it's illuminated and it's got and you sense that godliness. So now the hay, the of the negative energy has nothing to hold on, to. and it just just completely cleansed from your system. Your system is restored back to full health. Vibrant health. You're vigorous, robust. Powerful.
0: The letter He thereupon returns to its proper place, reunited with the preceding three letters of the Thetagrammatra. This will suffice for the understanding. This then is the meaning of the statement quoted in chapter four that the lower level of Teshuvah
1: consists of the return of the lower hay. So although he although said that it's really primarily the lower hay, the thought, the speech, the action, from which the clip of the negative energy receives its life sustenance, when a person misbehaves, doesn't think properly, doesn't speak properly, doesn't act properly, this is what gives the negative energies its life sustenance. But nevertheless, the Hay is not separate. The Hay is part of Hashem's name. So, when the negative forces receives its life sustenance from the Hay, it's also receiving its life sustenance from the other letters, in a sense. The Yud, K, Vav which represent the mind of the person, the heart of the person. Because when your mind and heart are not engaged in holiness and godliness, nature abhors a vacuum. Where's your mind and heart going to be at? In in, in the negative. But when you restore the hay, it's not just you're restoring and mending your behavior, your thought, speech, and action. But you're also restoring your mind, your heart, that you become fully engaged in godliness, in holiness. And, and therefore, there's no room. There's no vacuum. There's no room for any negativity. You're busy. You're fully engaged. You're fully occupied. So there's no, there's no, there's no room. There's no where, There's nowhere to enter. There's nothing to hold on to your mind is involved and your heart is on fire and, and you're doing the mitzvot and you're living like a Jew and thinking like a Jew and acting like a Jew. So when the, when Hashem's letters, when, all, when the letters return back, it's returned back to the Yud Kevav. Now the letter is whole. Hashem's name is whole and complete and all letters are illuminated. And all letters are, are functioning without any defect, without any blemish. Then... There's no room for for any negativity. So, even though we're discussing here the lower level of teshuvah, that you're regretting anything negative that you've done, and you decide to change your behavior, but the truth is, it's not just changing your behavior. It also affects your whole being. It affects the yud and the hey and the vav. It affects your heart and your mind and your whole being. Is changed. It's not just a superficial change. But from now on, I'm going to behave properly. Genuine teshuvah is a core change. It, it, it's 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 a, it's a total change. Even the lowest level of teshuvah. Also, it changes you. It affects your personality, your character. It affects your whole being, your mind, your heart. You've turned your life around, you've reconnected, you've gone 180 degrees. You've turned from east to west. You've turned inward, you've reconnected. So that affects every part of you, not just your behavior. It affects your whole outlook on life, your whole underlying assumption of life. It affects your feelings, it affects everything. That's the power of Teshuvah. When you make a change, you have a change of heart and you resolve, you're going to change and you're going to be coming back home and you're reconnecting and you're going to change your behavior. It also affects the yud and the hey and the vav. So the hey is restored and returned back to the other letters. Because it's part of, of the letters, it's not just external not just the effect on the outside it's also internal you know because when a person does Teshuvah it's not just that your behavior is going to be perfect it's a decision that you make that anything that's godly is good, anything that's not godly I can't do so it's not just external, that externally my behavior is going to be good. My effect and impact on the world around me is going to be good. It's internal. It's an inner resolve, internal, that anything that's not godly, even when I'm not tempted to do a sin, even when I don't have the possibility to do a sin, it's just an internal resolution that I can't sin, it's not even a possibility. It's not, anything that's not godly is not for me. Anything that's godly is for me. So, the hay is very much a part of the yud cave vav. It's something internal. It's not just external, superficial. It's all connected. It's all part of that sense of godliness. That, in, that sense where you perceive and you feel and you just make a strong resolution that you are returning and anything that's godly, that's the only reality for you. And anything that's godly, you're open to. And anything that's the opposite of godliness, it's not even a possibility for me. To see. How can I rebel against God? How can I go against God? It's not a possibility. So this is restoring the hay back to the Yud Kei Vav. Even the lower level of Truva is a very profound change. It's a very profound effect on the person, internal, not just external. So he's putting this in parentheses. He says your, your, the Dial mavens enough for those who understand, who knows what he's trying to point out here. And, um, and therefore, the klipa has nothing to hold on to. It's completely cut out. It's completely... And we know it. Neg- negativity only feeds on fear and feeds on weakness. If we're strong, there's no room for negativity. If we're not afraid, there's no room for negativity. It all feeds on our own weakness. You know, we, it's, a, it's a parasite. We n- nourish it and we nurture it. The moment you resolve to reconnect and godliness is a, it's clear, crystal clear, and it's strong, and you sense it and you perceive it and you connect with it, reconnect with it, then there's no weakness, there's no fear, there's nothing to hold on to. Negativity just slides off because it is nothing, it has no substance, there's nothing to it. We nourish it when we sin, we give it life, we give it strength. The moment we, we, then it just, the moment we restore back to our health, it has nothing to hold on to. It's finished. To be continued. This class
0: is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.